Turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 119. We'll be looking at verses 129 through 145. My name is Brad Mercer. I'm one of the pastors here at Highlands. If you're visiting this morning, welcome. Or if you're a longtime member or somewhere in between, new member, welcome. As you are turning there, um, just a couple of announcements. Uh, by the way, I hope you noticed again uh, all that's going on this summer. We've had a lot go on, particularly co- post-COVID. Uh, a uh, lot going on, a lot of activity during the summer, lots of trips, lots of VBS. A wonderfully uh, ministry-busy summer. And I'm just reminded of that as, uh, as we walk through the announcements again. Secondly, as uh, most of you know, uh, Joseph Wheat is on sabbatical. And actually, he will be back here in the pulpit uh, next Sunday, when we were looking at the calendar and working through the, uh, the sermons and all that, we weren't quite sure when all the comings and goings would be, but the, the coming uh, will be next Sunday. Joseph will be back at the pulpit, so we're not going to quite finish this series. We're not going to get through all 176 verses. We'll have 31 uh, left, so that's your assignment. This is a, uh, has been a series about the role in, of the Bible in our lives. So your assignment is to read those final uh, 31 verses, and maybe we'll plug them in at some point uh, in the future. But pray for Joseph and Gina as they travel. There'll be a number of us that will be meeting up at General Assembly, and that's about as exciting as it sounds. General Assembly. We'll be meeting at uh, General Assembly in Birmingham, Alabama. That's our annual meeting uh, for the Presbyterian Church in, in America. There will probably be somewhere between uh, three and 4,000 uh, people there. It's a large uh, gathering. Pray for us. Uh, Kevin Russell, Mac McGee, Hap Farber, Brad Mercer, and Joseph Wheat. Boy, that sounds like a crowd, doesn't it? We should probably warn them we're coming. And some wives uh, will also be with us. So pray for us as we, uh, as we prepare to go, and then Joseph will be back next Sunday. What comes to your mind when you think of the word heart? Uh, Lots of things um, could come to mind. Uh, We all uh, have heard the phrase, good southern phrase, bless his heart. Bless her heart. You know, to figure out what that means, it's got to be in context, because that could mean any number of things. Bless his heart. Uh, Be still, my heart. You ever thought that or heard someone uh, say it? Um, We might say he's heavy-hearted. He's stout-hearted. She is... Lighthearted. Anybody have a broken heart? If you're, you've got any number of years behind you and you're walking around on this earth, you've probably got a broken heart. Had a broken heart at some point. We say things like, we're going to drive into the heart of the city. We're going to fly to the heart of the country. 
Or we say things like, well, a heart, some of you medical people are thinking, well, a heart pumps blood through your body. It's an organ that circulates blood. That's what a heart is. And, and then there are always those that might think of the little heart symbol. They might even think of the, one of the seven reaction buttons on Facebook. I heart you. What does the Bible mean by heart? Maybe you recognize this word, cardia, is the Greek word for heart in the Bible. What does the Bible mean by heart? Um, it might be tempting for us in, in our culture to think of heart as something that expresses emotion. And that would be partly true. Or passion, and that's certainly partly true. One commentator puts it this way, the ancients, the ancient writers of the Bible, did not use detailed psychological vocabulary to make fine distinctions like we do in modern speech. The Hebrews thought of the whole human being and personality with all of its physical, intellectual, and psychological attributes when they used the word heart. It is the heart that is the core that identifies a person. Character, personality, will, mind are all terms that could be summed up in the ancient writers, the biblical writers, as heart. In other words, heart is the core of what makes you you. At the deepest level. And it expresses itself in your deepest desires, longings, dreams, and loves. It's what characterizes you at the, the deepest level. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. From your heart. Now, we're about to read a passage in the Psalms, and as we've mentioned time after time, Psalm 119 and the Psalms in general take us through virtually every experience that we have in life. We're about to read somebody express his heart. And express his heart passionately. It's one of the wonderful things about uh, the Psalms. When we read 129 through 144, we're going to read someone who is passionate who has desires, who has longings, who has beliefs, and who is expressing those. Before we read, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, your word. Lord, I know that there are all kinds of hearts here this morning. You do too. And Lord, we're reminded that you know our hearts better than we know our own hearts. Lord, there are broken hearts here this morning. There are stout hearts here this morning. There are light hearts here this morning. And there are hearts that are filled with discouragement. And had a hard time even, even getting here this, this morning. 
So Lord, you have the ability, when we read your word, when we teach through it, you have the ability to meet with, with us as a, as a church family, along with our, our friends who are visitors here this morning. You can, by the power of this word that we read and your Holy Spirit, you can come and you can meet with us and give us exactly what is best for us. And that's my prayer. Give us what is best for us. We don't always know what's best. Often, usually, we don't know what's best. Give us what's best for us. Comfort the brokenhearted. Confront the hard-hearted. And bless all of us and draw us to Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Psalm 119, 129 through 145. Your testimonies are wonderful. You remember, testimonies could be scriptures, word, precepts, Bible. Uh, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and I pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face to shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law, your word, your instruction, your Bible. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness with all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I'm small and despised, yet I do not forget your Precepts, your word, the Bible, the scriptures. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. And then finally, the beginning of the, la the next session in 145, the next section. Uh, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. We could see a lot in this passage. I just want to focus on a couple of things that are very clear in this passage. One, everybody's got a heart, in spite of what you may think. Everybody does have a heart. Everybody's got these deep longings and desires and dreams and loves. Everybody's got 
a heart. And everybody's heart, number two, everybody's heart, everybody's, is being trained in some direction by someone or something in some direction. Everybody's heart is being trained. What makes you you at the deepest level is being trained in a particular direction this morning by something. Everybody's got a heart. Now, on the second floor, I'd invite any of you that want to come up to the second floor during the week. We have, a, we have a big time. We minister with each other, but we also like each other, and we are friends. We get on each other's nerves from time to time, but we keep short accounts. And I hope, I hope you see it, and I'm genuine. I ask it, you know, we have a staff that loves you, and we love we genuinely love one another. And we were on the second floor this week, and I was in somebody's office, and we were looking over the bulletin. And I had uh, just mentioned, as we were looking over the, the bulletin, everybody's got a hungry heart. And as though on cue, one Becky Brown, who was, happened to be walking down the hall at the time, breaks out in song, Bruce Springsteen. Everybody's got a hungry heart. And she just kept going all the way down the hall singing Bruce Springsteen. This is, these are the people who are ministering to you. Right? Everybody's got a hungry heart. It's true. The, word, the rest of the words aren't very good. Got a hungry heart? It's universal. Universal longings and desires and hungers welling up from deep inside of us, and they are aimed in all kinds of different directions. I was reminded of a couple of other wise sayings by uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh following the early service, but I'm just going to give you um, one. I love this. Uh, Winnie the Pooh once said, you know, sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. I'm not sure if Mr. Pooh was saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but he's on to something. Um, we have hunger in our hearts, and we are all filling our hearts with something. Everybody is filling their heart with something. Now, I'm going to take this opportunity to address all of you, because I've had a number of people that have asked me over the, the, the course of the few months, hey, have you seen the movie... Uh, the most reluctant convert. Many of you know I did some postgraduate work on, on C.S. Lewis, and I keep getting asked, yes, it's official now. I've seen it. I saw it a couple of days ago, and I recommend it. It's quite good. It's very creative artistically, very well done, very accurate. And yes, I have now officially seen it. And one of the things that struck me again is... Lewis is a little boy. And as a little boy, he's, he's brilliant, he's vivacious, he's got a vivid imagination, he's going places. And then his mother gets cancer when he's nine years old. And this is all, it's in the film, and it's accurate, and he prays that the Lord would heal her, and the Lord does not. And she dies. 
And that's the beginning of aiming his heart in a direction of rejecting God and, and atheism. And he has a number of teachers along the way that encourage that and educate his imagination, his longings, his desires in that direction, in the wrong direction. And there's a, a, a wonderful man in the, in the film and in his life called William T. Kirkpatrick, uh, the great knock, who um, further educates Lewis's heart in atheism. This Don't believe this God stuff, this otherworldly stuff behind the material world. Matter is all that matters. It's all that's there. The material world is all that exists. Lewis calls him a Presbyterian atheist. It's hilarious. A Presbyterian, because he's, he was once a Presbyterian and now he's lapsed, but he still arrests and dresses up on Sundays. But that's all that's left of the faith of the great knock. That's all that's left. We see the same kind of, of, of longings and desires and goals in this psalm. Um, over and over in, in this psalm, in fact, going all the way back to Psalm 119, verse 2. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 10 of this psalm, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Verse 69, the insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I seek your precepts. And then again we see it in 145 here. With my whole heart I cry, answer me. And this language of wonderful and panting and longing and shedding tears, and my zeal consuming me, and trouble and anguish finding me out. Ever been there? Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. There's all kinds of heart language here. This is true for, for all of us. Well, secondly, everybody's heart is being trained. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. Your emotions, your intellect, your will, your desires, they're all being trained by somebody. And by something in some direction. Where, how, who? I distinctly remember my conversion as a young teenager. And I remember the, the, an amazing 24 hours, it, I remember it, of being born again, uh, and still, still born again. But I remember coming to Christ. And the, the joy and the enthusiasm and the thrill And as I got older, life happened. 
And tragedies happen, disappointments happen. Diagnoses happen. Your mom and your, your dad die. Fortunately, my parents uh, lived into their 80s. I did, I did their funerals. I did my parents' funerals. I've done my grandparents' funerals and my parents' funerals, and life happens, and hard things happen. And I don't know that I, I realized until later the importance of training my emotions and my loves and my desires, being deliberate about that. Not just knowing stuff, but being formed in the depths of my heart, my emotions, my intellect, my will, my longings, and my desires. And we struggle, don't we? Don't we? And we think, why, why do I not want to read the Bible more? And why do I not love the Lord more? And why do I not want to go to church more? And we feel guilty. Why don't, why don't, I, why don't, I, why don't I love the Bible like I should? And we start to feel guilty. Um... Uh, Jamie Smith, in his uh, wonderful little book, You Are What You Love, uh, likens our hearts to compasses or homing devices. He says our hearts are like compasses or homing devices that need to be recalibrated on a regular basis so they're going in the right direction. He says it is crucial for, crucial for us to recognize that our ultimate loves and longings and desires and cravings are learned. And because love is a habit, our hearts are calibrated through being immersed in practices and rhythms over time in certain directions. We learn to love not primarily by just acquiring information about what we should love, but rather through practices and habits and rhythms that form us over time. You know, one of the things, when we brainstorm ministry, when we think about ministry at Highlands, we think, how long is this ministry going to last? What kind of impact is it going to have five years from now? Or is it going to be gone because that ministry five years from now is what's going to really change people. It goes on and on and on and on. It lasts and changes people over time. Look, I know that our hearts have to change. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Our hearts have to change. But often, hearts follow habits. We know that. It's, we see it everywhere. You learn, learn how to, I don't know, anybody recently get their driver's license? Or their permit? You know, first you're thinking about, you know, not killing somebody. And you're thinking about mechanics. And then you realize, well, I've got this. Anybody an athlete? Practice, practice, practice. 
You're trying to hit a baseball or a softball. At first you practice, 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 and you're thinking about mechanics, and then you learn how to hit the sweet spot. And you're not thinking about mechanics anymore. Anybody a musician? It's amazing all the mathematics that goes into uh, being a musician and reading music. And practice, 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 and the result? Beauty. You heard it this morning with Mike standing over here playing this guitar solo. How did he get there? He practiced. Year after year after year after year and got a degree. He practiced. Year after year. As we think about uh, the rhythms and the practices that we're stepping into, the patterns, the habits, remember that hearts often follow habits. First, we don't want to do something, and then we start to do something because it's the right thing to do. And over time, we love it. But that's not how it started. Over time, often, hopefully, um, we love it. Discipleship is forming and training our loves our desires, our hearts. Uh, the, The psalmist says the unfolding of your words, the unfolding, the understanding, the teaching over time, the unfolding of your words gives light. In 133, keep steady my steps according to your promise. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Keep steady my steps. Noticed along the way in in preparing for this series on Psalm 119, a number of commentators saying, you know, here's something to consider. Psalm 119 is really an expansion and a sort of filling out of Psalm 1 and Psalm 19. Good point. Psalm 1, there's a rhythm there's a rhythm about it. You know, that we have to ask ourselves, which direction are you walking? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, the scriptures, the instruction of the Lord. Psalm 19, this beautiful psalm, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The Bible, the scriptures, the word of God is perfect. It revives your soul. Do you believe that? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And it goes on from there. There's a rhythm about these two psalms. Last week, and I continue to hear about it, last week I introduced you to Joe the Iguana. Joe 
Ugly on the outside, ugly on the inside, exactly the same. Didn't have to wonder what he was like. And as he got bigger and bigger and bigger, remember he was a Josephine eventually, had eggs. And all. This was an ugly thing inside and out. If our hearts this morning are revealed, our true desires and wants and longings, what would people see? What would people see? Now, there was, a, there was a strange movie, sort of has a cult following, made back in the 70s uh, called Stalker, and it's really not about stalking, but it's uh, this sort of dystopian film about three men uh, living in a, a very difficult time. And they, they eventually make their way toward, they're led, they're, they're, they're led by someone to a place of great promise. In fact, this is so unique. This place is so unique. Again, this is fiction. It's so unique that it is going to give you your greatest, deepest desires and wishes. There's lots of stories like that. Lots of folk tales and fairy stories and fiction like that, promising to give you three wishes. But this one, this one gets at something that many of the other great, fascinating, common stories don't. Here's what's unique about this one. These guys spend most of the movie trying to find this place. It doesn't have a very particular interesting name. It's just called The Room. They're finding, they're looking for the room, and they finally find the room, and we never see what the room actually looks like. We see it from the side, and we see light coming out of it, and we see these three guys standing there. And one of them says, the leader says, I'm leading you to a place where dreams come true. You will have all of your deepest desires. You will get exactly what you want, what you long for. This is the most important moment in your life. Your innermost wish will be made true. Who wants to go first? And it suddenly dawns on them. One says, well, what if I'm not sure what my deepest wishes are? And the the leader of this group says, the room will reveal that. The, the whole point here is, who wants to go first? We know the right answers. We don't have the right hearts. What if I'm suddenly laid bare and what I've said I've desired my whole life is not what I really desire? That's not what I really want. I say it. I know the right answers. But in my heart, it's not true. He's on to something here. And they all threw back up, and I'm not going in there. We know what to say. Now, I could go on and say, you know, do the right thing, desire the right thing, love the right thing, love the, you know, but you can't. can't. We are utterly dependent upon God and his grace and his word and the Holy Spirit. We can't work it up, bargain with God, work our way up to God. 
I, when, I, when I think of deep desires and loves and longings and hearts, I often uh, go to Luke 7, and there's very clearly three, at least three, hearts that are revealed in that passage, and they're very starkly. If you remember the, the scene, it's like a, somewhat like if a visiting missionary came to Highlands and spoke and then was invited to um, a house after speaking at a missions conference at Highlands and was treated there rudely. Uh, Jesus has probably just finished speaking in a synagogue and he's invited to the home of a Pharisee for lunch. And the Pharisee, in a very subtle war, um, right there in, in front of everyone, it's a, it's a public setting. Most people are standing around watching, and the important people are sitting at the table, actually leaning on the, the ground on their elbows at this table close to the ground. And Jesus is invited. He's not welcomed. There's no hospitality shown to him. His feet aren't washed. He doesn't get a, a kiss. All the typical ancient hospitality um, rules are, are broken. He's there to be interrogated. He's there to be challenged. And it's public. And then something happens. Something unexpected happens. Somebody comes on the scene. This woman that everybody in town knows and they all know what kind of a woman she is. She's got a reputation. It precedes her. What is she doing here? She's looking for Jesus. And she shows up and messes up all these plans. And everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows the life she's lived. In fact, she's really all of us. She represents all of us. And the heart of the Pharisee says, the Pharisee says to himself in Luke 7.39, if this man Jesus were a prophet, he would know what sort of person this woman is who's touching him. She's a sinner. She's a sinner and everybody knows it. That's his heart. There's no grace, there's no mercy, there's no love. And the heart of the woman she falls apart. She runs to Jesus. She's heard the message of Jesus. She responds to the grace of Jesus. She responds to the gospel of Jesus. And she falls apart. She lets her hair down. She's weeping. Uh, she washes his feet with her tears and dries his feet with her hair. You don't do that. And she doesn't care what anybody thinks. She doesn't care. She doesn't care what's appropriate. Now, don't go out there and be inappropriate. But you see the point that Jesus is making. She loves Jesus because he first loved her. And she doesn't care. 
what people think. And she's overcome by the the grace and mercy and love of Jesus, and she expresses that from her heart, um, with her words, with her body, with the only gift she has is this perfume on his feet. She does everything the Pharisee doesn't. She shows warmth and love and response and, and hospitality. And she gives him all she's got. Herself and her perfume. Everything. The heart of Jesus. The heart of the Pharisee, the heart of the woman, the heart of Jesus. Jesus says to the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? I entered entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And here it is, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. She loved much. You see, for this woman, Jesus is not useful. He's beautiful. He's not a means to something else. He is the means. He is the goal. He is what her heart wants. Because she's heard from him and responding to his message of grace and love and acceptance. A grace and a love uh, that we don't have to earn, we can never lose, and it goes on forever. And never earned. One commentator says, true faith is what happens when somebody looks at Jesus and discovers God's forgiveness. And the sign of this faith is love. Um, here's my challenge as we finish. Hopefully we'll, we'll get those 31 verses in at some other point. What do you love? What is your heart set upon? Do you, do you need to pray that God would open your heart to the gospel? You know, she sees the wonder. She sees the wonder. The psalmist wants all this, these desires and loves and wonder that the psalmist is, is pointing to are reflected in, in her life. And what a wonderful picture for us, a changed heart, and I don't care what people think. I want Jesus. Where is he? You can just picture her going all over town. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we are uh, humbled and challenged and encouraged and blessed. Uh, by Psalm 119 and by Luke chapter 
7. Lord, as we even consider these three, heart, the heart of the Pharisee, the heart of the woman, the heart of Jesus, we pray that you'd give us the heart of this uh, dear woman um, who's a sinner, a public sinner, and the kind of person that people avoid when they see her coming. And yet she's heard from Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loves much. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just know stuff, although that is absolutely fundamental, knowing things. We pray that we would know the right things, we would know the truth, we would know the word of God, and that our desires, our longings, our hopes, our dreams would be centered on Christ and knowing him and loving him and serving him and following him and like this woman looking for him, where is he? And recognizing that it is by grace uh, we are saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Help us to, to hold out an empty, outstretched hand of faith and saying, Lord, fill it with your grace. I'm tired of running and striving and fighting. I can't do it. I can't save myself, but you could save me. And you can change everything about me. Give me a love for you and for your word. We pray all these things in the name of him who came such a great distance for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing.